continuing this preaching series based on A.W. Tozer's Seven Rules for Self-Discovery. We mentioned in week one that he kind of proposed this idea that we live our lives behind this kind of semi-opaque curtain, a mask, if you will, and we don't really truly know ourselves. And so he's given us these seven rules um, of self-discovery that we can kind of work through to dig in and ask ourselves some tough questions to try and understand a bit more about who we really are. And so so as we journey through this, uh, this journey of self-discovery and, you know, we can work with, in partnership with the Holy Spirit to know ourselves better. Why? Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. And so we're going to just look to him for revelation and, and just kind of with the belief and the expectation that as we ask ourselves these tough questions, that actually we will become and we will grow and we will shape ourselves into the men and women we were created to be. Okay, so this list, let's just run through it. It looks like this. Number one, what we want the most. Number two, what we think about the most. Number three, what we do with our leisure time. Number four, how we use our money. Number five, the company we enjoy. Number six, who and what we admire. And number seven, what we laugh at. So we looked at the first three. If you missed any of those already, I encourage you to jump online and have a listen. But before, uh, but today we are going to look at number four, how we use our money. And here's the challenge that Tozer puts to us, he says this, again, we must ignore those matters about which we are not altogether free. We must pay taxes and provide the necessities of our life uh, for ourselves and our family, if any. That is routine, merely, and tells us little about ourselves. But whatever money is left to do with as we please, that will tell us a great deal indeed. We better listen to it. What is left over after the bills and all of that stuff, how are we using that is what he's challenging challenging us on. There we go. So money. Perhaps if you'd clocked what I was talking about today, you'd have had a lie in. Instead of showing up at church, I realized that this isn't the most uh, comfortable subject to talk about. But money matters. It matters to us. And it matters to God. Let me just demonstrate how much the subject of finances is spoken about over 800 times in the Bible. 11 of the 39 parables that Jesus told was about money and about possessions. Over 2,000 verses in the Bible are to do with this subject of finances. And to put that in context, prayer is talked about just over 500 times and faith even less. So I think it's safe to say that God has got something to say to us about money. Money matters. And, and often, uh, just, I was just kind of reflecting on this subject before preparing this message, and I, I kind of came to this thought that actually often when money is spoken about from a church platform, uh, the preacher often tries to kind of justify the message in, a, in an almost quid pro quo manner. If you give of your finances to God, then you will receive blessings in return. If you give to God, 
he'll give back to you. And, and I can say that because I've done that myself. I've definitely preached that kind of message. And the reality is that's because it's true. That's not false teaching. That is absolutely biblical truth. Let me show you as we just jump through a few scriptures. Deuteronomy 15 verse 10. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Proverbs 11, 24, 25. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. And then Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, often used during talks around tithing. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. So there is absolutely a demonstration throughout scripture that just enforces this, uh, this truth that as we give to God, he will give back to us. But this should not and cannot be our motivation to give. It can't be the reason why we give. And so what we're going to look at today, I'm going to try and avoid that quid pro quo kind of manner of preaching this message and actually look at what the importance is, is the heart behind our giving. But before that, uh, even as I was kind of reading through Toza's description of, of the challenge that he's putting to us, I just wanted to add something else into that mix because Toza's challenging us about the money that's left over. The kind of after taxes, after our bills, after we've paid the mortgage or the rent, after we've bought food. But I want to add to that list our tithe. I want to add tithing to that list. You know, Ruth and I, we believe in the principle of tithing, of giving the first 10% of our income into the local church. It, it's a non-negotiable for us. It comes out of our bank account just like our mortgage does every month. And so for us, it falls into that list that Toza gives of all these things that we have to do. And so the same is for us as a church. We tithe 10% of our income. It goes into a, a separate bank account specifically for missional work for this church. We believe in the principle of tithing. It doesn't fall into the category that Toza says, whatever money is left over for us to do with as we please. That is not our tithe. But perhaps if you know your Bible fairly well, maybe you want to come at me with a challenge that says, but isn't the tithing of 10%, isn't that law? And we no longer live under law, we live under grace, so surely tithing no longer applies. Well, I'm not going to get legalistic with you, I'm not going to debate about whether tithing is pre-tax or post-tax, or whether you should tithe on financial gifts or tax rebates or birthday presents or any of that stuff. I'm not going to debate that with you right now. We can chat about that in life groups if you want to. But what I will say is this. Yes, we live under grace. But in my understanding and in my experience, grace goes further. Grace always goes further. It works harder. It goes the extra mile. It goes above and beyond. But just to cement this point, and then we will move on because it's not what I'm preaching about today. And I know that Joe's talks about this before, but the very first instance of tithing in the Bible is found in Genesis 14, chapter, uh, chapter 14, 18 to 20. It says this. 
And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then it says, And Abram gave a tenth of everything. He gave 10% of everything. And this verse, found in Genesis, before Exodus, is pre-law. It's pre-law. It's before Moses laid down this idea of tithing in law. And, and Melchizedek is almost this kind of foreshadowing of Jesus. And so what we're seeing even here is that Abram, as he was known then, understood and recognized the importance of this principle of tithing. But I've gone off on a tangent there. That is not what I'm preaching on today, but I just wanted to drill that message home. We're not talking about the 10%. We're talking about the other 90% this morning, the, the money that is left over after we've covered all of our kind of responsibilities, after we've paid for, uh, you know, we've fed and watered ourselves, we've got a roof over our head. We're talking about the bit that's left over to do with as we please. All right. Let's read from Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to take our main message from this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. This is part of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, and it says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the lamp of the body, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, if then the light, is, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. All right. Has anyone ever been up the Blackpool Tower? No one? One, two, three. Okay, some of you have been up the Blackpool Tower. Anyone know how high it is? I used to work at the Blackpool Tower, not up it, at the bottom, just near the ballroom. That was where my office was. The Blackpool Tower is 158 metres tall. And then I, we were just chatting, actually, this, this past week about uh, having drinks up the Shard at their incredible view in, in London. So I did that one time. Work was paying, so I didn't need to pay the extortionate prices of drinking at the Shard. But that is 310 metres high. And then about 10 years ago, we went to Toronto and we went up the CN Tower. That's 553 metres high. Has anyone been up a, a place higher than that? Higher than the CN Tower? Anyone? No? It's a pretty big boast, isn't it? But there are biggers. This one, the Burj Khalifa, is the tallest tower in the world, sitting at 828 metres high, 2,717 feet. But who knows, it's easier to tear down than it is to build up. Look at the impressive work that goes into building up something as big as this. But it's easier to tear down than it is to build up. And that's true for buildings as it is for life. I find these just 
incredible watching buildings being destroyed. But it takes years to build a building, but it takes a flick of a button to just flatten it to the ground. It's easier to tear down than it is to build up. It's easier to be negative than it is to be positive. It's easier to speak death than it is to speak life. It takes people of faith to take nothing and turn it into something, but it takes people of fear to take something and to tear it down into nothing. In order to build up a building as tall as the Burj Khalifa, you need to go deep, deep down to put those solid foundations in place. And that is what this series is all about. We're looking at foundations. It's amazing, isn't it? A bit close for comfort there. So good. So this series is all about looking at foundations, this idea of self-discovery, of, of soul discovery, looking at the foundations of what makes up who we are. And actually, as we go through this series, it's encouraging us to kind of uh, identify maybe some cracks that are in our foundations, some, some weak points that maybe we just need to, to do some work on so that we can actually keep the integrity of our lives in check so that we can be built up higher and higher because we've gone down deep with our foundations. And so today we're talking about the fun subject of money, of our finances. And management guru Peter Drucker said this. He said, tell me what you value and I might believe you, but show me your calendar and show me your bank statement and I'll show you what you really value. That's the challenge, isn't it? As Christians, we often speak about sacrifice, about, oh, well, yes, God, we hand over our lives to you. Take me, use me for your will. Your will be done in my life. You can have my future. Maybe as parents, you say you can have my kids, please. Use them for whatever you will. But when it comes to money, it's a bit, hmm, I'm not so sure about that. But the truth is, and hopefully you'll get this as we work through this message this morning. God's not interested in your money. He wants your heart. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And that's why this verse in Matthew 6, 21 is so key. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we're seeing here is like a tangible link between our heart And our finances. And what Jesus is suggesting here is your heart isn't really in it until your treasure is attached to it. Your heart isn't really in it unless your treasure is attached to it. Without investment, we're only paying lip service. If you're not invested in it, you won't stay interested in it. I don't know about you, but I have never dabbled in stocks and shares scares the life out of me, but also I don't have the finances to be playing around in that kind of thing. I've got no interest in investing in Bitcoin or any other of those weird cryptocurrencies that just confuse me. I don't understand what it is. I don't get it. But my interest in those things is very minimal. But if I were to actually invest in Bitcoin and buy some of this imaginary technological money, Then 
I would be interested in the value of Bitcoin and whether its value has gone up today or gone down today because I have invested in it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we invest in something, then we will be interested in that thing. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. It's foundational work that we're looking at. It's soul discovery. But then Jesus goes on in this passage in his teaching and he he begins to challenge us in this way. It says in uh, verse 31 and 32, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. What we're hearing here is a challenge from God to trust in him. No matter what is going on, it's a challenge to trust in him. Do we really and truly believe that God is our provider? We sing it, we say it, but do we actually believe it in our souls? That, you know, there's many names used for God, but Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. And that's a promise from God that he will provide for our needs. Do we trust in him? Are we willing to actually trust in him, to step out in faith and believe what it is that we're saying? The challenge is to walk in that, to truly believe that he will fulfill his promise. And so as Jesus continues in this Sermon on the Mount, he shows us just how it is that we do this, how it is that we trust in him, even with our finances. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All those things that he was just talking about, about what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear, all these things will be added to you. Seek God first. Seek his kingdom first. Seek his face first. And then all these things will be added. And what that means is his mission over our mission. His purpose over our purpose. His future for our lives over our five-year, ten-year plan. Focus your first on God and he'll fix the rest. Focus your first on God and he will fix the rest. You know, I believe that there's something in this idea of fixing your first. How do you focus, uh, how do you focus your first when it comes to your time? What's the very first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning, except for hitting snooze, if you're anything like me? What's the first thing that you do in the morning? What's the first thing you do when you pick up your phone? Is it, is it the Bible app or is it Facebook? Sunday is the first day of the week and is that a non-negotiable in your life? Is that, you know, is that what you're putting first in your week, coming to, to church I believe that when we apply this principle of of focusing our first into our lives by, by giving God the first day of our week, then it doesn't matter what last week looked like. It doesn't matter what went on in the week that has just been because we're focusing our first on God and he'll take care of the rest. He'll fix the rest. Today is a new day. When I enter this room and, you know, I'm focusing my first on God because I'm saying, you can have the first day of my week. I am believing and trusting in him that he will fix the rest. We don't need to worry 
if we're seeking first God's kingdom? And what about our talents, the the abilities and the giftings that God has blessed us with? Are we handing those over to God first for his kingdom, for his glory? It's only through doing that, through giving them to God first, that we'll actually see and realize true fulfillment in our lives. And what about our decisions? We all face big decisions in our lives, don't we? Whether that's about relationships, about where we live, about our careers. Are we involving God in our decision making? Are we going to God first and saying, is this relationship your best for me? Is this career move, even though it might come with a a better paycheck or a bigger office or, I don't know, a company car, whatever it is, is this what you want for my future, for my life? Are we going to God first? Are we focusing our first on God with our time, with our talents, with our decisions? And how about our finances? Are we focusing our first towards God with our money, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I had a coffee this week with a, the local Methodist minister, and we were just chatting about church and, and life, and he kind of suggested the idea that actually the general perception of people outside of the church is that we're after their money. What we want is their money. If they come to church, we're just going to be asking them for their money. And I have to say, even though it's sad to say, I probably agree with him that actually that that probably is one of the general perceptions that people outside of the church think about the church in general. But that is not and never will be the culture of this house. That is not who we are. That is not what God has called us to be. You can come to this church with zero obligation to give us anything. You can come for 20, 30, 40 years and never give us a penny and you will still be welcomed in these doors like family. That is not our heart. That is not our culture. But let me say this, we are incredibly thankful for those people who have caught hold of a revelation that says, I'm going to give God the first 10% of my fruits, of my finances, of my income, that they've grabbed hold of that, that revelation of this principle of tithing, that instead of paying lip service to God by showing up and singing songs, actually, I'm going to invest in the church with my finances, believing that as I invest, my heart will follow. As I invest in the church, I will also become interested in the church because God cares about his church. And as we invest, we will stay interested, we'll stay engaged, we'll stay connected because our heart follows our treasure. And as you read through the scriptures, I'm sure many of you will know that picture of of the widow going into the temple. And Jesus is watching the people enter into the temple and they're dropping their gifts into the offering bucket, whatever that looks like in the temple back in Jesus' day. And, And actually, Jesus sees this widow show up and she drops into that bucket two small coins, just two coins. And he says, she's given more than anyone else because she's given out of her lack. 
It's fine for all the wealthy people to stroll through the doors and drop in these large sums, but Jesus didn't even care. He didn't comment. He didn't say, wow, look at the size of that offering. He pointed towards the widow who gave two small coins. And I wanted to point this, this, kind of, this passage out because, I don't know, maybe for some of you, you're sitting in your seat this morning and you're, you're thinking that actually once all the bills have been paid and once I've bought my food and I've paid for my rent or my mortgage, the, the truth is there is no money left to do with what I will. And trust me, I get that. I get that completely. And this idea that Tozer suggests that actually there's this portion of money that we can do with whatever we like, it's almost laughable because there is no money when I've paid all my bills and I'm just down to the bottom of my bank account or even into my overdraft. I get that. But this passage of the woman giving two coins is encouraging to to us, to those people. Because this woman, this widow, she gave out of her lack She offered up, it says, her last two coins. It was everything that she had in the world and she dropped it in as an offering. What faith that must have taken for her to give her last two coins, to give everything as her worship to God. How much trust, how much love she must have had for her heavenly father in order to make that sacrificial offering. And that's what made her stand out to Jesus. It's not the money. It's not the value. It's not the amount. It's the heart with which she gave. It's the heart with which she gave. It wasn't those large, seemingly generous gifts of the, of the rich and the wealthy that caught his eye or caught his attention. It was the widow and her small, seemingly insignificant offering of just two copper coins that she dropped into that bucket. It looked to everyone else probably like nothing. But to Jesus, he saw beyond the amount and he saw into the heart. And that was what is worthy of comment. That is why that's what's written in the scriptures. Not the gigantic offerings, but the tiny yet sacrificial offering of that widow. God doesn't want your money. God wants your heart. You know, I think it's sometimes it's challenging to to hear messages on finances, on, on money. But the truth is that even though I talked about tithing and I talked about the 10%, that actually it's kind of the above and beyond that, that Tozer's checking us out on. He's, he's asking us to just check yourself because, you know, that, that comment, if you check your bank statement, I'll show you what you truly value. Because maybe we're sitting here this morning and saying, there's no money left. But if you then look through your bank account and your bank statement, you say, okay, well, the bills that I'm including are £10 a month on Netflix, £15 a month on Spotify, £40 on my phone, whatever it may be, you look through your bank statement and actually, and I've said this before in a preach, if you look at our bank statement, yes, we pay out all our bills, then the tithe comes, but then the next highest thing that we spend our money on, without a doubt, is technology. Because we've got Spotify and Netflix and Prime and phones. And that is something that we give into and we invest into. And maybe we need to check ourselves as a family today. Maybe we need to hear this message and say, is that where I should be spending my money? 
But we also, and I'm not boasting in this, I just want to show you we are practicing what we preach. We also give beyond that 10% and we sow into charities and we sow into missions and we've got a compassion child, a beautiful boy named Joshua who was born in the same month and year as Caleb and the guys who go to Excel, I am almost certain you will hear from the guys of compassion this week and they will tell you the stories of these these beautiful children who have nothing and actually we in the western world who have more than anyone else in our bank accounts even if it looks like you've got nothing they've got nothing in the true sense of the word and so we support our compassion child and I know other people do and maybe that's something that you want to do but the question is not You've got to support a compassion child. You've got to give to charity. Don't fixate on the details. The important thing is, and the thing that we're questioning today as we do this self-discovery, this soul discovery, this foundational work in our lives is where are you investing your money? Where is your heart? Because I truly believe, as we've spoken about today, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the, the thing that's interesting about this verse is that it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Not where your heart is, that's where your treasure will go. Have you ever thought about the, the, the format and the structure of that verse? It's treasure first, then heart. I mean, I'd not noticed that before this week. It's not heart, then treasure. It's treasure, then heart. We've got to allow the money to do the talking, whether that's a massive sum that might seem incredible to those who have little, but actually to you it's nothing, or it might be a tiny amount that seems like nothing to everyone else, but it's huge to you. It doesn't matter about the value, it's the heart with which we give. How are we investing our money? So as we close on number four today, this journey of self-discovery, let's just ask ourselves, what is your heart attitude when it comes to your finances? How are you investing in the what's left over, whether that's loads or that's little? How are you investing that? And how is your heart when it comes to money? Are you keeping hold of it for fear that God won't provide? Or are you trusting in Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide? And so actually you're willing to give out of your lack, like that widow, those two copper coins. What is your heart when it comes to money? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for the, the promise that you have made that we don't need to worry about what we'll eat, what we'll drink, what we'll wear, that you'll take care of all of that if we only seek first the kingdom of God. And so I pray that, that even today we will begin to, to just put aside the kind of attitudes of maybe our worldly nature that says, I need to worry. I need to think first about all of these practicalities and actually just to focus our eyes on you as we worship now, just to focus our eyes on you and say, you are first in my life. You're first with my time, with my talents, with my decisions, and also you are first with my money. And so I pray that as we challenge ourselves this morning to look at our heart attitude when it comes to our finances, that God, you will perhaps highlight some, some areas in our life where maybe we are 
we are living and walking in a poverty spirit that says, I don't have enough to give, so I'm going to keep hold of what I have just in case I need it. And actually just to break those barriers, break those walls, break those chains of bondage down that just allow us the freedom to give generously, to give freely, believing and trusting that you are our provider. And so God challenges this morning, challenges, I pray, to to break free from anything that is holding us back from living the generous lives that you have called us to live. That we can have a heart that says, I just want to worship you with everything that I have. That I acknowledge that everything that I have comes from you anyway. And so we just want to give back to you. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to find, uh, we want to win more people for you. We want to demonstrate your love with everything that we have and can do here on this earth with the time that we've got. And so God, we want to give back to you. In Jesus' name.